welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 55, Gathering. Hello, everyone. If you follow me on Instagram, which is comefollowme underscore with Bree, you know that I just got back from a writing retreat. And this is the first episode that I wrote while I was there. And I said on Instagram, but I'll say on here because I know a lot of you who listen don't actually follow on Instagram. I so enjoyed preparing this episode. And it was because I did it while I was at Bear Lake at this writer's retreat. And the point of the retreat was to write, not necessarily educational. And so I just got to sit down with no real time pressure and just write. And it was beautiful to be able to just explore whatever interests me and to not feel like I kind of had to be like, okay, I need to move on. I can't waste so much time because usually you would like to think that I am preparing these weeks in advance, but I'm not. It's usually the day before I prepare and the next day I record. And so usually when I'm preparing, it's just like, okay, let's get this, get through this. And I enjoy it, but it's really not quite the same. And so this week I really got to just dive into the information and not feel too terribly rushed. And it was so enjoyable. So you're going to see that come out in this lesson because it gets a little nerdy. I really got into some of the, the informational, um, or not informational, that's not a good word for it, the nitty gritty details of the gathering of Israel and, and the Jews. And, and obviously I'm not going to touch on like every thing I possibly ever could. Cause I think there's just endless information, but I just want to share this information with you. And I hope that you can listen to it. I think a lot of times on this podcast, I'm going more for like just inspiration and, and it's not necessarily a deep dive into the, the technical. And so I want you to just listen to this with, with an open heart and mind and really appreciating how incredible all of this information, this confirmation of testimony is. All right, so let's dive in. There is so much greatness to pull out of these two sections, section 109 and 110. So make sure you go read it and read the Come Follow Me manual prompts and go listen to other podcasts that will dive maybe more into just the spiritual principle side of things. I am going to focus on two things specifically, the prophecies specifically about the gathering of the Jewish people and ultimately the gathering of Israel and what is said in these sections about those two things. And then we're going to, of course, kind of get off on some other things that are not included in this section, but we know will happen surrounding those topics. Previous to just a couple of years ago, I would always kind of tune out as soon as I started hearing talk about olive trees and the house of Israel and wheat and the tares, etc. I didn't really understand it. Like on a pretty basic level, I did, but not very deeply, nor did I really have a huge desire to really dig into that. I, I didn't really, I think I didn't think about it a whole lot, but for the most part, I d it didn't feel all that important to me for me to understand it super well. But the more I study, the more interesting and important it all becomes. And as with everything in the gospel, it really does tie all into the same things. It's all, it's just, when I, anytime I study pretty much any topic in the gospel, it's amazing to me how it all, none of it stands on its own. It all relates back to the same things, all comes back to, to faith and repentance and, and the love that our Heavenly Father has for us and Jesus Christ and the atonement. And it just all comes back to the same things. And it's just so cool, for lack of a better word. 
Anytime I get to identify where prophecy has been fulfilled or is being fulfilled, I hop right on it because it's just such a testimony builder. And it reminds us that the Lord is in charge from beginning to end and that nothing, no matter how crazy the world seems, nothing has gone wrong. Section 109 is the dedicatory prayer of the Kirkland, Kirkland, that's like at Costco, (laughs) Kirtland Temple, and it is a beautiful prayer. One of the things I notice most about the prayer is that Joseph asked for a lot of blessings that we are still working on seeing the full realization of today. And that, just a little side note, that reminded me that often our prayers aren't always answered in the way or the time that we expect. I think a lot of the saints expected these things to happen extremely quickly. And as we've seen, quickly means something a little bit different to the Lord. One string of sought-after blessings that caught my eye was centralizing around the gathering of Israel. In verse 54, Have mercy, O Lord, upon all nations of the earth. Have mercy upon the rulers of our land. May those principles which were so honorably and nobly defended, namely the constitution of our land by our fathers, be established forever. Think about what has happened since the time that this prayer happened because of the Constitution of the United States. Not only did the Constitution allow for this young church to exist, but the protection of religion it provided allowed it to eventually flourish. And I think being a part of a generation that has never known religious persecution to an extreme degree, we didn't understand, we don't truly understand for the most part, what actual oppression looks like. And because we haven't experienced that in our mortal lives for the most part, maybe some of you have, but for the most part, I think a lot of us listening have not truly experienced that. And I think because we haven't experienced it, it's hard to fully appreciate how amazing religious liberty is. That's what they were fleeing. That's what the people were fleeing when they came over from Europe to found this new nation. They were fleeing religious persecution. They wanted to be able to believe the way they wanted to believe. They wanted to be able to worship God the way they they thought was the right way. And the creation of our independent nation of the United States, and I know some of you listening don't live in the United States, so sorry, it's hard for me to get out of that verbiage, but that atmosphere that was created by the early founders of the United States of America is the atmosphere that allowed this young church to flourish, and it was not by accident. The Lord was in it, and he knew what needed to happen in order to restore his church. The Constitution of the United States is the longest-lasting constitution and form of government in the history of the world. The Constitution provided the freedom necessary to allow for missionary work to be done and temples to be built, and not only in the United States. Many of the freedom-loving nations that exist today have, since the birth of the Constitution, adopted similar forms of government, which allowed for what Joseph Smith asked for in this prayer. Section 109, verse 55. Remember the kings, the princes, the nobles, and the great ones of the earth, and all people, and the churches, all the poor, the needy, the afflicted ones of the earth, that their hearts may be softened when thy servants shall go out from thy house, O Jehovah, to bear testimony of thy name, that their prejudices may give way before the truth, and thy people may obtain favor in the sight of all, that all the ends of the earth may know that we, thy servants, have heard thy voice and that thou hast sent us. Think of the freedom that has blossomed in the world since the time that this prayer was given. 
That freedom has softened the hearts of kings, princes, nobles, and the great ones of the earth. Freedom that has then allowed for the sharing of the gospel all around the earth, the building of temples all around the earth, that has created an atmosphere conducive to that great gathering of Israel that we are seeing. Before the Lord visited the Nephites, he spoke to them about the destruction that they had experienced. He tells them about the cities that had been destroyed. He tells them that the reason that they were spared and that they could hear him is because they were more righteous. He then pleads with them to return to him and repent of their sins and be converted so that he can heal them. And then he says in 3 Nephi chapter 9, verse 14, Yea, verily I say unto you, if you come unto me, ye shall have eternal life. Behold, mine arm of mercy is extended towards you, and whosoever will come will I receive, and blessed are those who come to me. After that there was silence for many hours, and his voice came again, saying in chapter 10, verse 5, And again, how often have I gathered you as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, O ye people of the house of Israel, who have fallen! Yea, O ye people of the house of Israel that dwell at Jerusalem, as ye have fallen! Yea, how often have I gathered you as a hen gathereth her chickens, and ye have refused! O ye house of Israel, whom I have spared, how oft will I gather you as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, if ye will repent and return unto me with a full purpose of heart. Throughout the history of the world, we can see in the scriptures the Lord has continually gathered his people. I love how the last verse speaks directly to us, as well as the saints of that day. How oft will I gather you as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, if ye will repent and return unto me with a full purpose of heart. This is happening on a macro and a micro level. We as individuals are continually being gathered as we continue to repent and rededicate our lives to him. The world is being gathered, and the dead are being gathered. Just as a refresher, let's remember what the gathering of Israel is. President Nelson summed it up nicely when he said, As descendants of Abraham, the tribes of ancient Israel has access to priesthood authority and blessings of the gospel. But eventually the people rebelled. They killed the prophets and were punished by the Lord. Ten tribes were carried captive into Assyria. From there they became lost to the records of mankind. Obviously the ten tribes are not lost to the Lord. Two remaining tribes continued a short time and then because of their rebellion were taken captive into Babylon. When they returned they were favored of the Lord, but they honored him not. They rejected and vilified him. A loving but grieving father vowed, I will scatter you among the heathen. And that he did into all nations. So a lot of what's talked about at the very end of that quote is talking about the tribe of Judah. And that brings me to the next portion of this chapter that I just think it is so cool to think about. When Christ was alive, the Jews rejected him. They mocked him. They crucified him. But we know that the Jews are a chosen people in the house of Israel. Joseph asks in his prayer in this section, verse 62, we therefore ask thee to have mercy upon the children of Jacob, that Jerusalem from this hour may begin to be redeemed. And the children of Judah may begin to return to the lands which thou didst give to Abraham their father. So Israel, Jerusalem, that they can reclaim those lands. I want to move forward a bit into some prophecy that will happen specifically with the Jews in Jerusalem before and during the second coming. There are more prophecies that we're not going to cover, but I'm just going to focus on these two. In the future, there will be two prophets killed in Jerusalem after they have spent a little over what the scriptures say is a thousand days prophesying to Jerusalem. 
It is said that the world will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented them. After they lie in the street for three days, they will come back to life and all will be afraid. They will hear a voice in heaven telling them to come hither, and they will ascend up to heaven on a cloud while their enemies watch. I mean, imagine that. I wonder who these prophets will be. Will it be some of the prophets that we see now in the general authorities in the Quorum of the Twelve? Think about being alive for that event. It's interesting to note that this prophecy in Revelation was given before technology, as most prophecies were given because they're in the scriptures and they're a long time ago. So as earlier people studied this, how did they theorize this would happen? Now, this isn't terribly important. I just think it's a cool thing to think about. So in the minds of people back back in Joseph Smith's time, back in the scripture time, how would they that dwell upon the earth know about the killed prophets soon enough to be excited within those three days to send each other gifts? How would all of their enemies watch as they ascend into heaven? I'm sure it was pretty mind-boggling to just think about how on earth that could happen. So think about how we think of the power of God and how we think some of these things just sound so impossible. But yet we have all the context of all the technology that we, we have now. And so think about how much more impossible that must have sound, how much more incredible that must have, must have sounded to, to people back in Joseph Smith's time. Obviously, I for sure don't know exactly how all this will happen because God can do anything. But to me, it sure sounds like the prophesying that will happen in Jerusalem by these prophets that will be killed will be broadcast to the world throughout their ministry. And by broadcast to the world, I don't necessarily mean that like mainstream media would broadcast it. But as we know, as I know, as I speak to you right now, my voice can be broadcast throughout the world. And so I think that that, that ministry of those prophets will be very public and very available to watch if you're interested in looking for it. I think you will probably have to look for it. But moving beyond speculation, I think one thing we do know is that what they have to say will not be something that the world in general wants to hear. It's going to make them mad. They're going to say that their prophets are being mean to them and that they have no right to say the things they're saying and, you know, whatever else they might say. So just to conclude these thoughts, I just, it gives me chills to think about witnessing this in real time if we get to do that. And what a testimony builder that will be to see such a specific prophecy be fulfilled. So the next second thing I want to mention is the big event in Jerusalem. The Savior will save the Jews just as they are about to be destroyed after a, the Battle of Armageddon, where all nations of the world will be engaged. He will set his foot on the Mount of Olives, and it will split in two. The Jews that were, are remaining will then flee into the valley created, and they will see him. They will ask about the wounds in his hands and his feet, and the Lord will tell him that he is Jesus Christ, whom their people crucified and rejected even till now. They will weep because they persecuted their king. And this just makes me love the Jewish people. Clearly, they are a chosen, loved people of the Lord. And clearly, they will be humble enough to be worthy of this miraculous conversion. So let's talk about things that have happened since Joseph 
said this prayer and asked the Lord that Jerusalem would be begin to be redeemed, that the children of Judah, the Jews, may return to the land that the Lord gave to Abraham, Israel. Okay, so before we get into all of this, I want to just preface it by saying I am no expert. I am very much a beginner, but I'm hoping that there are enough of you out there that are beginners too that will find this interesting. So I'm getting this basic list from the book called Scripture Study for Latter-day Saint Families by Dennis H. Leavitt and Richard O. Christensen. And then I'm going to add additional thoughts and detail that I, that I have. So starting with 1836, Joseph Smith's dedicatory prayer asking for these blessings. And then we jump to 1867. Sir Captain Charles Warren was sent by the Palestine Exploration Fund to excavate the land of Israel in Jerusalem. This marked the beginning of many more future excavations of the surrounding lands and restoring historical Jerusalem to some extent. Then we jump to 1898. Theodore Herzl, I don't know if I'm saying that name right, traveled secretly to meet with the German Kaiser William II. And a Kaiser is the German word for emperor who is touring in the East. And he recruits the Kaiser to influence the Turkish Sultan to seriously consider the proposals of the Zionists. The Zionist movement is the gathering of the Jews back to Israel. And previous to this point, the Jews, as prophesied in scripture, were scattered among all nations, making them a minority everywhere. Now, in modern day Israel, Jews make up 71% of the population. This movement marked the beginning of a regathering of the Jews to Jerusalem. Now, 1917, the Balfour Declaration. Also don't know if I'm saying that right. This was a public statement by the British Empire that declared its support of a national home for the Jewish people. At the time, the Jewish people were a minority in the region. 1947, the United Nations Partition Plan for Palestine was a proposal by the United Nations. The resolution recommended the creation of independent Arab and Jewish states and that Jerusalem would be an international zone. Wikipedia says the plan sought to address the conflicting objectives and claims of two competing movements, Palestinian nationalism and Jewish nationalism or Zionism. So both Jews and Arabs consider Jerusalem to be a sacred city with sacred sites. Jewish leaders accepted this plan despite it not being exactly what they wanted. And Wikipedia continues, Arab leaders and governments rejected it and indicated an unwillingness to accept any form of territorial division, arguing that it violated principles of national self-determination in the UN Charter, which granted people the right to decide their own destiny. Sometimes I think about how just, you know, another testimony builder or, or confirmation of the Lord being having his hands in all of this it's just interesting to note that the Holy Land, this land that the Lord consecrated to Abraham, has been such a source of contention. And think about how interesting it is that the, the Arab nation, the Palestinians, have decided that this same land is also holy to them. So I'm not going to expound too much on what I think about that, but it's just something to kind of just tickle your brain and just, just think about and maybe research a little bit more. All right, 1948, the official creation of the State of Israel and Jerusalem, a divided city. And then we go to 1967, the Six-Day War. Now, the story of the Six-Day War is super interesting if you want to dive into it, but I'm not going to right now. Suffice it to say that this was a conflict between Egypt, Jordan, and Syria. And then just reading a little bit more from Wikipedia, 
Egypt and Jordan agreed to ceasefire on June 8th, and then Syria agreed to ceasefire on June 9th. A ceasefire was signed with Israel on June 11th. In the aftermath of the war, Israel had crippled the entirety of the Egyptian, Syrian, and Jordanian militaries, having killed over 20,000 troops, while losing fewer than 1,000 of its own. At the cessation of hostilities, Israel had seized the Golan Heights from Syria, the West Bank, including East Jerusalem from Jordan, and the Gaza Strip, as well as the entire Sinai Peninsula from Egypt. Israel's international standing greatly improved in the following years. So the gist of that is just that the Syrian, um, Egyptian, and Jordanian militaries, those, those governments were humiliated. And it happened over a very, very small amount of time. So since the 1960s, the world's superpower, the United States, has strongly supported Israel. And just even think about that alone. The fact that this tiny nation of Israel has the support of the most powerful nation in the world. And that to me just is another divine signature that God is in this. The U.S.'s relationship with Israel plays a very important stabilizing role in the Middle East. Although there has been an uptick in the conversation in the last year amongst uh, the population of the United States and its leaders, if we should be supporting Israel, my suggestion, if you're digging deeper into that and wanting to form your own opinion, is to make sure that you really understand the complexities currently and of the history. Because the surface level opinion pieces and statements that you're going to that you're going to see and hear out there are not going to give you a whole lot of context that would allow you to actually see the situation accurately. So that's just my side note suggestion. So moving on to 1987, BYU Jerusalem Center was completed and we continue to be very successful with our work there and and also in our cooperation with the Israeli government. There is so much going on now to be paid attention to over in Jerusalem. And I have found it really interesting to try and understand. I'm not going to say that I, um, like I said, I'm not even close to understanding fully, but it really is interesting to, to learn about what's going on over there and try and see the hand of the Lord in what's going on and, and also just prophecy being fulfilled. Okay, so why did we just spend the last little while talking about Jerusalem and the Jews? It's because it is a key part in the gathering of Israel and the winding up scenes of of the earth as it is right now, which brings us to section 110. In this section, Joseph and Oliver Cowdery receive a vision wherein they see the Lord, Moses, Elias, and Elijah, all for different purposes. First, they see the Lord who accepts the temple, and I love what the Lord says at the end of his appearance. He says in verse 9, section 110, Yea, the hearts of thousands and tens of thousands shall greatly rejoice in consequence of the blessings which shall be poured out and the endowment with which my servants have been endowed in this house. So just side note, I think it's really interesting to notice the Lord's language here. He talks about the blessings which will be poured out and the endowment with which my servants have been endowed in this house. So he's not talking specifically about um, long-term work that will happen in this specific house. But in this section, we receive the endowment of power, the, the transferring of the keys necessary to do all of the temple work that we do now. And so just think about the blessings like that has come to pass, the blessings that have been poured out since this moment that the Lord said it and the endowment of power that we have been given. 
Next verse, verse 10. And the fame of this house shall spread to foreign lands, and this is the beginning of the blessing which shall be poured out upon the heads of my people, even so, amen. So acknowledgement there from the Lord that this is just the beginning. And think about the beginning that it was, what has come after that, how many temples we have now and how much work has been done. That was the first temple in the latter days. And this temple in particular did not function as the temples that we have now. It was used primarily as a meeting house for instruction. And it didn't actually even function very long after this point. But what happened in it, what did happen, affects every temple on the entire earth. Every temple built now hinges and is dependent upon the keys that are restored next. So next, Moses appeared to them and gave them the keys of the gathering of Israel. Not only the key to the gathering of Israel outside the temple walls, but what is temple work? It is the gathering of Israel on this earthly side of the veil through living ordinances and the gathering of Israel on the other side of the veil. After Moses, Elias appeared. Now, we don't have really any information about the mortal life of this man named Elias. Apparently, he lived during the dispensation of Abraham. But interestingly, not only was there a man named Elias that it did appear here, but the title of Elias has been used several times in scripture to designate someone as serving a preparatory or restorative function. In this particular section, we have been told that this was actually a man named Elias. Elias committed the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham. And to me, that basically means that he renewed the covenant made with Abraham and the blessings promised to Israel. The last person that they saw was Elijah. After this vision had closed, another great and glorious vision burst upon us. For Elijah the prophet, who was taken to heaven without tasting death, stood before us and said, Behold, the time has fully come, which was spoken by the mouth of Malachi, testifying that he, Elijah, should be sent before the great and dreadful day of the Lord come, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest the whole earth be smitten with a curse. Therefore the keys of this dispensation are committed into your hands, and by this ye may know that the great and dreadful day of the Lord is near, even at the doors. This is all about doing work of redeeming the dead, and that is primarily what we do in temples now. And something interesting to note is that this day, April 3rd, that Elijah appeared to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery, is the same day that Jewish people all over the world had an empty seat for Elijah at their tables, their Passover tables. So really cool. I don't want to call it a coincidence because I think it's just another divine signature that it happened on that day that the Jews are waiting for Elijah. Joseph Smith said, What is this office and work of Elijah? It is one of the greatest and most important subject that God has revealed. This is the spirit of Elijah that we redeem our dead and connect ourselves with our fathers which are in heaven. This is the power of Elijah and the keys of the kingdom of Jehovah. There is so much to be said about the gathering of Israel, but I hope what you got out of today is that this is very much your mission here on earth right now. President Nelson said, This gathering is the greatest challenge, the greatest cause, and the greatest work on earth today. In his talk called Sisters' Participation in the Gathering of Israel, he gave us ways to increase our efforts in the gathering of Israel. First, he encouraged us, so I'm talking specifically to women here, but I think it can apply equally to men in their organization. He encouraged us to fully participate in Relief Society. He asked us to increase our temple attendance and 
as is the solution to so many of life's dilemmas, read the Book of Mormon. Today, I want to remind you of what you are already doing to help gather Israel. Are you being a righteous influence in the life of your friends, neighbors, family, and ward members? You are helping gather Israel. Remember what we talked about in the beginning? The Savior told the Nephites and is telling us, O ye house of Israel, whom I have spared, how oft will I gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, if you will repent and return unto me with full purpose of heart. We are constantly wandering away from him, all of us. You, your neighbor, your friend, your husband, it's just a part of life. So what our job is, is to stay gathered. And we do that through repentance and trying again. So when we support each other in that effort, we are gathering. Are you living your life in a way that will allow people to see the Savior through you? You are helping gather Israel. Are you teaching your children in love and righteousness? You are helping to gather Israel. There are infinite ways to help in this work, and we are all given different roles. If we all had the same way of doing things, the same exact goal, it wouldn't work. I want to end with a quote from the first talk that President Hinckley gave as the prophet, and I think it perfectly embodies the simplicity of gathering Israel. He says, Now, my brethren and sisters, in conclusion, I wish to leave you with one thought, which I hope you will never forget. This church does not belong to its president. Its head is the Lord Jesus Christ, whose name each of us has taken upon ourselves. We are all in this great endeavor together. We are here to assist our Father in his work and in his glory, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Your obligation is as serious in your sphere of responsibility as is my obligation in my sphere. No calling in this church is small or of little consequence. All of us, in the pursuit of our duty, touch the lives of others. To each of us in our respective responsibilities, the Lord has said, Wherefore be faithful. Stand in the office which I have appointed unto you. Succor the weak. Lift the hands which hang down and strengthen the feeble knees. And in doing these things, thou wilt do the greatest good unto thy fellow beings and will promote the glory of him who is your Lord. You have as great an opportunity for satisfaction in the performance of your duty as I do in mine. The progress of this work will be determined by our joint efforts. Whatever your calling, it is as fraught with the same kind of opportunity to accomplish good as is mine. What is really important is that this is the work of our Master. Our work is to go about doing good as He did. Now, my brethren and sisters, the time has come for us to stand a little taller, to lift our eyes and stretch our minds to a greater comprehension and understanding of the grand millennial mission of this, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is a season to be strong. It is a time to move forward without hesitation, knowing well the meaning, the breadth, and the importance of our mission. It is time to do what is right regardless of the consequences that might follow. It is time to be found keeping the commandments. It is a season to reach out with kindness and love to those in distress and those who are wandering in darkness and in pain. It is time to be considerate and good and decent and courteous toward one another in all of our relationships. In other words, to become more Christ-like. We have nothing to fear. God is at the helm. He will overrule for the good of His work. He will shower down blessings upon those who walk in obedience to His commandments. Such has been His promise. Of His ability to keep that promise, none of us can doubt. Oh, I love President Hinckley. I know that life seems complicated right now. 
And we make it even that much more complicated when we wander from the Lord, which we all do. But somehow, in all its seeming complexity, there truly is simplicity. I know that the Lord will gather Israel. And I am loving watching it happen. When we watch, you can truly see that prophecy is being fulfilled. And really, all it comes down to, to borrow a phrase from Frozen, is do the next right thing. And the Lord will take care of the rest. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you enjoyed today's episode and left feeling inspired, pretty please share it and review it. And that's all I'm going to say.